Good morning, church. It's my privilege to bring you God's word this morning. And we, if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hands. Our ushers will hand you one. And this morning we are looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. But let me pray before we begin. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that you have brought us here this morning. And Lord, we, we thank you for your word, the truth. And um, as we begin to look at it, we ask that you help us. Help us by opening our ears and preparing our hearts. Help us to be teachable, help us to be humble. And that may your word be like seeds that fall on fertile soil. May it take root and grow and bear fruit. And we also pray, Father, for our guest speaker, Bill, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, you would anoint his lips, that he would teach us your message and your truth. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest and gave him the name that is above every name. That, in, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, consider to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be, become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God.
Well, it is a pleasure to be here this morning. It's great to see uh, familiar faces, both old and new, but it's also good to see a lot of faces that I don't know. Um, I've got a question for you. Uh, it's not the discussion question, and you'll understand fairly quickly why it wasn't put up there as a discussion question. I've got some questions for you. They're awkward questions that I want to ask you. Awkward and difficult questions. So get ready. These are my questions for you. The first question is, who don't you like? And it's who in this room don't you like? Now, you see why it wasn't a discussion question. I don't want you to put your hands up and answer now. Uh, who in this room do you find it really hard to get on with? Who in this room do you find yourself often disagreeing with? Who in this room is it hard to work with when you find yourself working on something together? Today's passage, today's part of Philippians is about you finding a profound unity with that person or those people. Today's part of Philippians is about how that is actually going to happen. How is it that this person who, or people, who you find really hard to get along with, who you find really hard to work with, who you don't particularly like, how is it that you are going to live in profound unity with them and how is it that you are going to serve in profound unity with that person? Let me pray for us uh, as we uh, open God's word and think about it together. Um, Father, as was prayed before, we do pray that you would speak to us today. Open your word to our hearts and minds and open our hearts to your word. Father, help us to take what's difficult and listen humbly. Help us to take what's great and respond joyfully. Make us your faithful and joyful servants, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, keep them open because we're kind of, what we're going to be doing is kind of working through this part of God's Word and seeing the way that God addresses us through it. Uh, the key to this passage, the key to what we've just read, actually comes a little bit before, so that's why it's important to have your Bible open. The key to what we're looking at today is part of last week's passage. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 27. 1, verse 27, Paul urges God's people, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens in life, live a life that's worthy of Jesus and his gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that, and this is key, this is the key, this is what Paul wants for us, this is what God wants for us, then I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's key. That's key to everything that Paul is going to say to us here today. He wants us to stand firm. He wants us to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the sake, for the faith of the gospel. Stretching and straining, working together for gospel faith. Working together for the growth of the church and working together for the growth of believers in the church. That's God's great goal for us, that we're united together in the work of Jesus. It's God's great goal to us, but it's not easy. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally, especially 
were the people who we were thinking about just a little bit earlier, those ones that I asked you the questions about. Especially with those people, how is it that you will strain and strive and work together for the sake of the gospel? Well, that's the question uh, that Paul's going to answer for us. Uh, He starts off in chapter 2, he starts off, how is it that we're going to work together with these people? Well, the first thing is to remember our relationship. To remember our relationship, first of all, not with those people, but to remember our relationship with God himself. And that will push us to live selflessly. Remember our relationship with God himself. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he sounds a bit like a parent with a child, doesn't it? You know those moments, parents, where you're reduced uh, to kind of bribery and pleading with your children, your kind of discipline and your firm parental hand hasn't worked? And so you're reduced to kind of pathetic... It almost sounds like that, doesn't it? Paul is saying, well, think if there's anything good about the relationship that you have with Christ, it's a little bit like, well, if the, do you like anything about your mum? Is there any kind of, kind of spark of kind of affection or warmth to your mum? Well, therefore, listen to her and do what she wants you to do. Paul says, do you see anything good in your relationship with Jesus? Do you see anything good in your relationship with Jesus? Is there any encouragement for you from being in Christ? Is there any way that being in Christ rouses you and pushes you? Is there any kind of comfort for you in the love of Jesus? The fact that he died on the cross for you, does that kind of provoke any sense of comfort, any sense of belonging? Do you have any kind of bond with your Christian brothers and sisters because you share in the spirits? Do you have any sense of warmth and care, the warmth and care you've received from Christ? And hopefully the answer to those questions is, at least to some degree, well, yes, that there is some at least vague kind of vanishing sense of those things. That if we sit and if we reflect on what God has done for us, we're thoughtful, we'll say, well, yes, we do find those things. We do find encouragements. Uh, We do find comfort. We do find a common bond. God wants to say to us, if you benefit from your relationship with God, then that should shape your relationship with others. Do you see it there? If you have any of these things, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. If you benefit from your relationship with God, well, let that shape your relationship with others. Be united in your thinking. Be united in love. Be united in purpose. The first reading, it can almost feel like, well, is Paul kind of encouraging us to be almost kind of mindless drones, kind of just 
who just kind of all kind of mindlessly conform to the same thing? Well, no. But he wants us to share the same passion for the gospel. He wants us to share the same pursuit of the gospel. He wants us to be striving, working together for the sake of Jesus and his glory and the growth of his kingdom and his message. Be like-minded, have the same love, be one in spirit and mind. Do nothing, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In our fellowship, in our family, in our church, there's no room for selfish ambition. There's no room for competition to be the best. You know, that kind of, uh, that kind of heart, that impulse, where you push yourself ahead, where you put yourself in the limelight, where your well-being is based on being better than others. There's no room for that here. There's no room for that here. There's no room for selfish ambition. There's no room for pride. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There's no doing stuff just to boost your sense of self-worth, just to boost your sense of prestige. See, Paul, God is saying, that doesn't belong here. That selfish ambition, that pride, that doesn't belong here. Now, you might be listening to that and you might be thinking, well, I'm glad you said that, Bill, because that person I was singing about before, they sure need to hear that. Well, brothers and sisters, if that's what you're thinking, you sure need to hear that. Uh, You see, first of all, our hearts need to be thinking about not the person that we struggle with, not the person that it's difficult to work with, but first of all, ourselves. It's easy for our reflex impulse to be, I'm glad they're listening to that, but are you listening to that? There's no place for selfish ambition, there's no place for pride. Instead, Paul says, instead, uh, verse 4, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Don't just be focused on yourself, but be genuinely concerned for the interests and the sake of others. So that's what we're to do. That's the way we're to live. United in love, united in spirit, united in mind, genuinely concerned for the interests of others rather than ourselves, not driven by pride, not driven by selfish ambition. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? The question is, how? How on earth are we going to do those things? You see, there's a world of difference between knowing what you need to do and knowing how to do it. Have you ever watched an instructional video on the internet? Uh, I've had some computer problems lately, and so I've kind of turned to to the internet because the internet is all-knowing and all-wise. Uh, and you kind of watch the YouTube videos and they're kind of all the kind of jargon and stuff and you've got, you've, you're told what you need to do, but well, how on earth am I actually supposed to do that becomes the question. It's simple to know what we need to do, but how is it that we're going to be able to do that? 
And in particular, how is it that we can be freed from pride? How is it that we can be freed from selfish ambition? How is it that we can be freed from our own interests to genuinely and deeply and profoundly look to the interests of others? Because that's a massive heart change. That's a massive change for us. We naturally revolve around ourselves. We naturally orbit around our own interests. And it's going to take something fairly powerful to break us out of the kind of orbit of our own lives, just going round and round and round our interests and our concerns. Um, Sometimes I read about space stuff because I'm interested in that. Apparently for a rocket to be able to break out of the Earth's orbit, the Earth's gravity, it needs to be travelling at about 40,000 kilometres an hour. It needs to be travelling at an astonishing pace to be able to pull out of Earth's orbit. What is it that's going to take us out of an orbit around our own lives and help us to live genuinely for the sake of others? Well, the answer, perhaps unsurprisingly, is Jesus. Look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Our outlook, the way we look at others, needs to be the same way that Jesus looks at others. And Paul explains how that works. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus, one with the Father. Jesus, one equal with the Father. Jesus, in eternal fellowship with the Father, didn't consider that something that should be taken advantage of or something that should be grasped hold of. It's fairly different to us, isn't it? If we enjoy some kind of privilege, it's pretty awkward to give that privilege up. If you get used to nice things it's pretty hard to then decide that I'm going to go without them. As soon as we have prestige, as soon as we have privilege, we tend to kind of grasp hold of those things with both hands. And you have to pry them from our fingers if you want us to let go of them. But that's not Jesus. In very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. So Jesus, with all the prestige, with all the power, with all the glory of being God, what does he do with that? What does he do with all that power and prestige and glory? He makes himself nothing. He makes himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. The one who is Lord of all becomes a servant. The one who rules over all becomes the one who serves all. And not just any kind of servant. Did you notice that? It's not just any kind of servant. By taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, just take a kind of surreptitious, sneaky look at the person next to you. You might be sitting next to a fairly handsome and fine specimen. Don't raise your hand if that is you. You see some people here, kind of fairly startlingly kind of impressive. 
But generally speaking, as a rule, even if you're sitting next to someone who is stunningly good-looking, they don't really hold a candle to God himself, do they? See, he takes on the nature of a servant, and not just any servant, he takes on the nature of humanity. Frail, weak, limited. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, not just any servant, but being made in human likeness. And it doesn't end there. What Paul is talking about is the steps down that Jesus takes. Nothing, a servant made in human likeness, and verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself beyond becoming a human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. A servant, a human servant, a human servant who died. See, that's taking, it to, that's taking it to the farthest degree, isn't it? It's not just that he did a menial job. It's not just that he packed bull bars at a factory, but he died. That was the nature of his service, and that's where his service led. It's pretty awful, isn't it? But did you see... It actually gets worse because Paul doesn't stop there. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, that made in human likeness, humbled himself, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate this because for us, the cross is a fashion accessory. For us, the cross is something kind of shiny that we wear to show our allegiance. But in Jesus' day and age, you, you would not be caught dead wearing a cross. It would be like, what if someone today kind of wore a shiny necklace and they're kind of nice gold little electric chair? You just wouldn't do it, would you? It's just jarring and gross and grotesque. Well, in Jesus' day and age, the cross was kind of like the electric chair. The cross was the death that was reserved for the worst of the worst. If you're a Roman citizen, the cross was not for you. You were above the cross. The cross was for the lowest of the low. The cross was for the lowest of the low. And the cross wasn't just for the lowest of the low, but the cross as a form of death was specifically designed to humiliate and dehumanize. So you're raised up on the cross, you were naked as you were crucified, and so you went through astonishing and agonizing pain, you were held up for all to see, naked and ashamed in front of all the world, you ceased to be human, you were something less than human, you were subhuman. It was the punishment for the worst of the worst. It was the punishment for someone who was less than human, to show that someone was less than human. That punishment was taken by God himself in the person of his son. Can you see the enormity of what's going on here? See, Jesus lived for all eternity in loving fellowship with the Father. Father, Son, and Spirit before anything was. 
in eternal relationships of love and joy and perfection. That Jesus was willing to lay that aside and take on human nature and go to the point of death and go to the point of a death that showed him, that kind of marked him as less than human. What kind of mindset takes you there? Well, the mindset that counts others as better than yourself. The mindset that sees others as better than yourself. You see, we need to think that way if we're to serve that way. If all I can see is my ambition, if all I can see is my giftedness, if all I can see is how special or important I am, well, there'll always be conflict. There'll always be difficulty. There'll always be struggle. There'll always be dislike. It will always be hard to serve with one mind, to strive together for the gospel. You see, when you're faced with your ambition, when you're faced with your pride, when you're in in a difficult relationship and all you can see is your point of view and your way, well, in those moments we need to remind ourselves of Jesus. We need to remind ourselves of the lengths that Jesus went to to serve. The lengths he went to to look after not his own interests, but our interests. And that is what will enable us to serve humbly alongside others. That's the picture that Paul wants to paint for us here. Now, the story of Jesus doesn't end there. Verse 9, the story of Jesus ends or continues with Jesus' vindication, with Jesus shown to be right In verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What great words. Everyone will see. Everyone will hear, everyone will know, and everyone will admit that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus rules and reigns, that Jesus is over all. Everyone's life in that moment will orbit around Jesus. And again, that's worth dwelling on. Because you see, if you are ever going to escape the gravitational pull of yourself, you need the gravitational pull of a bigger object. That's the way gravity works, kind of pulled towards large objects. And what happens here is we're shown an enormous picture of Jesus. That everyone will bow the knee to him, that everyone will see that every part of their life ought to be his. To understand and know that will help us in our humble service of others. You see, 
how is it that you can put aside your ambition? How is it that you can put aside your pride? How is it that you can put aside your sense of your own rightness? Well, part of it is knowing that there is something and someone who is much bigger than you. That enables us to be humble. That enables us to be humble. The other way in which this kind of enables and helps our humility and kind of puts to death our pride is, what are the other things that drive humility? Well, a deep sense of trust that I will be looked after. A deep sense of trust that I, I don't at every opportunity have to toot my own trumpet. I don't have to write my own name in the stars. I don't have to create my own legend. But that I am secure in another. I'm secure in another. I'm secure in the love of another. And that's the picture here. That we're secure in what Jesus has done for us and his service for us. And it makes us confident that we don't have to grasp, that we don't have to grab, that we don't have to get everything for ourselves. Because Jesus is profoundly for us. And so we can be people who genuinely look to the interests of others. People who genuinely live for the sake and the glory, not of ourselves, but for Jesus. And in doing so, we can strive together for the gospel. Now, Paul continues to kind of tease that out in the rest of our passage, verse 12 to 18. We're going to move more quickly through this, but see how it's driving home the same point. Paul has urged us, he's urged us, back in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Serve with humility because that's the key to striving together for the gospel. And in verse 12 he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Now, chances are, if you've been around Christian fellowship, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard these verses. You may well have heard these verses as a kind of explanation of how uh, our uh, freedom kind of sits alongside God's sovereignty and, and kind of tease that through. Um, but in the context, this is not just a kind of abstract statement of how God's will works alongside our will. What Paul is saying here is really deeply embedded in what he's been saying. He's urged us towards humility. He's urged us towards self-sacrifice, serving others. And he's shown the example of Jesus in this. And he's shown the lengths that Jesus had to go to for that. For Jesus, it was no small thing to serve us. The implication is it's going to be no small thing for us to seek to serve others. It's going to take hard work. It's not just going to come magically one day. You're not going to wake up one morning and that person you've always found difficult, that person you've always found hard to work with, you're not going to magically wake up and it's going to be, oh, I can't wait to spend my day with that person. I just can't wait to get home from work so I can go and go. It's, it's not magically going to happen. It's going to take work. 
So Paul says, God says, do the work. As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We've been saved by Jesus. We've been saved solely by his grace and goodness, but we need to be people who are responding to his grace, working out our salvation, living a life that's in line with Jesus, living a life that's a response to Jesus' grace to us. So keep doing that. It's going to take work to have this kind of humility. Do it with fear and trembling. Do it with a knowledge that God is great and glorious and that he is our Lord and Master. Do it with confidence as well because, verse 13, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. As we seek to put to death pride, as we seek to put to death ambition, as we seek to live humbly, we can be confident that God will work in us to accomplish his will, to fulfil his good purposes. And so, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now again, you can see how that ties into the big thing that God is saying to us. How is it that we're going to be able to strive together, work together for the sake of Jesus and his gospel? Well, it's going to be pretty hard if we grumble and argue and complain. Now, I don't know about you, but those are words that I need to hear. See, in our culture... Grumbling, arguing, having something to complain about. It's almost a mark of honour, isn't it? It's almost our conversational opener. Well, how was your week? And you kind of list your kind of your list of kind of gripes and the things that haven't gone well. As a culture, we're kind of cynical. As a culture, we're sarcastic. As a culture, we're pretty quick to notice when things are not right. And if that's true of our culture, I want to suggest that that can be even more so in church. Because when we arrive at church, we have high standards, we have high expectations. But it's not just anyone we're meeting with, we're meeting with people who belong to Jesus. People who know what it is to love, people who know what it is to be sacrificial, people who ought to be on their game. And boy, when they're not, I'm going to notice it. And boy, when they know, I'm, not going to, I'm going to notice it and I'm going to say something about it. Because, man, it just, it just grates me. It just grinds me. Now, my guess is that I'm not the only person in the room who thinks this way. The last six months, how often have you had a little kind of grumbling moment with someone else at church about someone else at church? Grumbling, complaining, noticing where things aren't going the way you think they ought to go, noticing where things aren't working the way you think they ought to work. Well, Paul and God want us to put those things to death. 
He's not saying that we ought to be people who just mindlessly obey everything. But he's saying that if your fundamental attitude to others at church, if your fundamental attitude to both those above you and those around you is one of grumbling and complaining and arguing, well, we'll see why we're meant to put them to death. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may come blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, God wants us to be startlingly different. God doesn't want us to just kind of fit into the patterns and ways of our culture. See, if you're a grumbler and a complainer, well, part of it, we kind of do that to fit in, don't we? Because that's what people do and that's kind of what's expected of us. And that's what makes it easy to relate to others. You see, where to be startlingly different? Where to be people who are noticeably different? And if you want to be noticeably different in our kind of culture, can I suggest that not being a grumbler, a complainer, an arguer, you're going to look pretty different. You're going to look pretty different if your first word about someone else is not a word of complaint, not a word of sarcasm, not a word of cynicism. People will notice that. Shining like stars holding fast to the words of eternal life. Paul finishes by reminding us of his own example. He says in verse 15, Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies, you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul can see the end. He can see where he's going. He can see his eternal life with Jesus. He can also see the church that he's laboured for, the church that he's worked with. And as Paul describes himself, can you hear the echoes of Jesus? Jesus, who took on the nature of a servant, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even if I am being poured out like a drink offering, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You see, Paul understands. Paul understands what Jesus did. Paul understands the extent and the nature of Jesus' sacrifice And so Paul, the apostle, the number one follower of Jesus, walks in Jesus' footsteps. He suffers as Jesus suffered. He sacrifices as Jesus sacrificed. He gives his life for the sake of the gospel, so that others might grow in Jesus and be nourished in Jesus. Brothers and sisters... Who don't you like? Who do you often disagree with? Who's hard to work with? Who are you going to strive together with for the sake of Jesus and his gospel? 
we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. The very eternal, glorious Son of God who humbled himself to become a human and humbled himself to die. There's no room for pride there. There's no room for selfish ambition. What there is room for is joyful, humble, self-sacrificing service. Let's pray that God would help us in this. Well, we want to confess that none of these things come naturally. None of these things come easily. And because they're not natural and easy, it's easy for us to dodge them. It's easy for us to create excuses for why we should not do this. But Father, help us to hear your word and help us to respond to you. Help us to keep Jesus' example in the forefront of our minds. And as Jesus served, help us to serve. As Jesus humbled himself, help us to humble ourselves. As Jesus gave his life for the sake of others, help us to give our lives for your good and the growth of your kingdom. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Bill, thank you. Appreciate you bringing us that word. And it's a great reminder, really, for all of us, isn't it, about uh, the, the Christ who came and sacrificed himself, humbled himself.